Yes, folks, it's Thursday. It's 4 p.m. Central. I'm Fred McMurray, which means this must be... And a big thanks to the Greg Markell's Audio Lab for our awesome Pillars of Franchising uh, theme song, the one that once it's in your head, you will never, ever, ever forget it. Hey, Chris, hey, Ray. Yeah. True statement. True statement. Because there's so many um, lyrics in it, so many words, you know. <laughs> <laughs> again and again, they keep coming. Yeah, there's. Pillars. Yeah, I love it. And course, you do an excellent job on your guitar. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you. Yeah. No one sees Impressive. that, but I appreciate that. You know, it's, it's if, yeah. if you if you had hair, I'd tell you to do the hair band thing, but we know that's not quite possible. Yeah. yeah if I had hair, yeah. we wouldn't. Yeah, do that. Uh, what do they call that one? Then? Move. Head banging. Head banging. Is that what it is? Head banging. Yeah. Yeah. If I had hair co-hosts wouldn't be wearing hats now would they <laughs> is that why we have to wear these okay yeah, well, okay at least I'm now i wearing, know if i'm not wearing a hat people get blinded by the lack of hair there the yeah. glare yeah. the glare yes shout Excellent. out to our past guest ron i got my bud's place hat so yeah. you know all right. Well, we're supposed to get ours when are we supposed to get ours i don't know if ron's listening he better know we're waiting yeah. So how about I get us started today, Fred? Today we'd like to introduce a very special guest. His name is John Francis, otherwise known in the business as Johnny Franchise. And uh, we'd like to welcome you, Johnny. I realize that we just skipped past weather, so as everyone is anxiously awaiting to hear your bio, we're going to start with Fred, who's shaking his head at me right now, and he can begin the weather. Well, as I've told people all day that I've been talking to them on Zoom, yes, if you're sitting in front of me and you look to your left, that is exactly the view you would see in the background, even to the point where the clouds, it's a beautiful blue sunny day, had lunch sitting outside, um, wearing just a hoodie, lows, upper 60s. Okay, let's move past you. No one cares. Okay. <laughs> Remember, we're family friendly, so you can't flip me off. Uh, no sign language needed. No. <laughs> Ray, how about you? Uh, I had a wonderful day today. Like you, uh, 65 degrees, took a 12 mile bike ride, bicycle, <laughs> and uh, re- really enjoyed it. And I think it's supposed to be almost as warm, I think, in the high 50s tomorrow. So I'll probably take another bike ride tomorrow because they're not going to have much of a chance to do that with the weather. It gets a little chilly riding a bicycle at uh, 25 miles an hour. (laughs) You know, I think I'm feeling a cold coming on. I might have to call in sick tomorrow. (laughs) Who are you going to call? Myself. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) That's the beauty of not having to work for anyone else when you have to take a sick day. You just call yourself. Yeah, so so sometimes I tell my employees, be careful, I'm going to quit, and then you're in trouble. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Then you'll be sorry. Yeah. Hey, so uh, I think that's probably why you took a nap in our last conference call, Ray, after you took that big, long bike ride. <laughs> now right. that you, you disclose that, now I yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, now that. everybody knows. Yeah. <laughs> all, all of my <laughs> knows that I, that I was sleeping during the conference call. Well, we know they're all now too busy all working to listen right now. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, French, uh, I am located in Aurora, Illinois, about 40 miles west of Chicago. Kristen is pretty close by. Yep. Uh, and um, we share the same weather. So now it's time to ask John Franchise. John Franchise. I should say that Johnny Franchise. Yeah. How are you <laughs> doing? Where are you at? Time out, time out, time out, time out. 
one thing I need you to re realize, Ray, now the whole franchising world knows that you fell asleep in the last <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I didn't say what the call was. See, you guys tipped that hand. Yeah. I just yeah. said on the last call, and then Ray goes, now all of Molly made no's. I'm like, <laughs> I didn't say that. There I was very, very careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Johnny franchise. I just, I laugh yeah. because it, I feel like I'm in the Godfather. Well, it's, it's got a, it's got a ring to it. That's for sure. Johnny it franchise. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it kind of suits me, I guess, on a lot of levels, I guess. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I'm not Italian or anything, but um, my, growing up, I was little Johnny, right? I'm the youngest of five kids. So oh, okay. everybody called me Johnny Francis. That's, Mm -hmm. I mean, my given name is just John Francis, but my wife, uh, my friends, uh, everybody who really knows me well calls me Johnny. And uh, so I got that nickname from a friend of mine here in Minneapolis at a conference. It was one of these franchise networking things, right? And the guy sees me, he's a big, big guy like me, and he says, he sees me every time and he says, Johnny Franchise. Because we're, you know, that's where we are. That's what we're doing. And yep. There were about a dozen people around who heard that, and everyone had a nice laugh, you know. And uh, it was great. It just kind of stuck. So those people started calling me Johnny Franchise all weekend for that conference. And <laughs> that's awesome. It, uh, it just that's how people would introduce me as, oh, you don't know Johnny Franchise, what? You know, and. So, yeah, I think it, you know, for a while, honestly, I was a little, uh, like, that's not serious. It's not professional. It's kind of, you know, is it corny or dumb? And, and then someone I was talking to, a friend of mine, and they said, well, it's only stupid if you're stupid. And, uh, there you go. I said, well, all right, then I'll I'll do my best. And uh, so I embraced it a couple of years ago and finally got the URL or whatever for the website. And then you get the email and everything else. And so... Yeah, it's memorable, and um, it's who I am. It's what I do. I don't think anyone else will use that. You know, my one of my guys, buddy, says, "Why don't you trademark that?" I'm like, "Well, why?" You know, because <laughs> whatever, it's a brand. You're a brand. Whoever use it. Yeah. Well, but yeah. then that's the flip side as well. Maybe you create something that's useful, and somebody else wants to do it too. You know. Yeah. 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 The, the world according to Johnny franchise. Yeah. So, right. I'll put my lawyer on it. You know. Yeah. So let's talk about you. So you have been in franchising your whole life. I really right? have. I, I was born into a franchise company. My mom and dad were franchisors in the early 60s, before I was alive. And I was born in the later 60s. But uh, my dad was a barber, cut hair, and he franchised barber shops without even really knowing what he was doing. He just It was a way to grow. It's when somebody franchised. And a long story short, it worked, right? He struggled, but they, mm -hmm. they did it. He's a great entrepreneur. He did a great job, worked really, really, really hard. And um, they were very early into the franchising. So they're, my parents are actually in the IFA Hall of Fame for oh, wow. franchise. Yeah, as a husband and wife together, which is kind of unusual, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, so we started, I have you starting with um, hair, hair salons is what we call them now. Back back then, though, that particular brand was the barber, right? I guess I say we call them. That's not true. That's no, it's true. The, the industry's grown up. And back when they started, there were barbershops for men and beauty salons for women. And that was, yeah. you really didn't cross over too much. And uh, so things changed. And we, we my dad and, and our concepts helped change a lot of that. Um, actually, there was quite a bit of change that came. He changed the industry, um, my dad. He's actually in the Barber Hall of Fame, if you can believe that. There's wow. such a thing. And he, he created opportunity for barbers to become business owners. That yeah. really, awesome. really didn't exist. And franchising was the vehicle that created that opportunity. And so I grew up thinking everybody owned their own business and everybody worked for themselves and everybody had two or three businesses. And, and, uh, you know, and I grew up in the wake of this entrepreneur who was in the real estate and, and retail and franchising and barbershops and, you know, you name it, he was interested in it. And, uh, it was a lot of fun to grow up in that environment. And being the youngest of five, by the time I was old enough, 
you know, things were already going. I mean, it, it's like I didn't live through the kind of the hard part that my older siblings did, right? right. It was a little different for me. So, um, you know, yeah, the, a lot going on. That wound up being a, a thousand plus unit. And then the Barbers became Regis. Now, I remember Regis back right. in the day. So, um, and then uh, we show that you also ha are a franchisee have been a franchisor, have been an investor and board members for um, several different franchises and not just hair, hair salons, barbers, right. um, but t-shirts and post net. And my boy's favorite is sports clips. So that's, that's one of our favorites in this yeah, house, yeah. anyway. Good brand, great people. Yeah. yeah so we've got a, a, a really great person for all of you to hear from today. Um, again, this is Johnny Franchise from over in the Twin. So, Ray, would you like to get us started today? Oh, sure. Uh, one of the things that came to mind when I think of barbers, I think of bartenders. They know everything. They know everybody. They know everything. So, if you want to know what's going on in a town, my, my dad, a quick story, he'd say, if you're going to a new town and you don't know anybody, you really don't know anything, he said, go to the barber shop. That's right. Talk to the barber. Ask yeah. him who's who, what's what, where to go, where not to go. You know, mm -hmm. he'll yeah. know what you need. He's got everything. And yeah, um, that's, that's so true. So true. <laughs> it, it really is. You know, I, I've been to the uh, same barber uh, for, I guess, the last 40 years. <laughs> you know? Wow. That's great. <laughs> and uh, she knows my entire life. And, and uh, you know, my kids, how, how's so-and-so doing, you know, does she have her baby yet, you know, and all this, you know, so for, what, 30 minutes, we talk, and, yeah. um, really? I'm going to be surprised what, uh, what people will tell their hairdresser, it's a, it's a, yeah. it's an interesting component of the service business, that type of personal service, it is. in that kind of an environment, where they're not underwater, or something, you know, they can, mm -hmm. some people don't want to talk at all, like, you, you kind of figure that out and other people they want to hear what's happening and then other people want to you know they want to brag about their life or their kids or other people want to cry about what's wrong <laughs> you'd be surprised a lot of psychiatric help i think comes out of the salon oh, definitely yeah yeah people help each other it's it's you know it's a beautiful thing really but uh, it, it is it, it is and the, the one thing i think that makes this um business as a franchise interesting is that i had a neighbor who she wasn't in hair that's not what she did right and i think a lot of us recognize that um one of the biggest skill sets or talents of someone who does hair is like artistry right they really are like an yeah. artist mm -hmm. even though they're trained i mean it's a, it's it's really something that they're um it's a skill. you gotta be good at it yeah. yeah yeah but not all of them are business people and so when you take somebody with a passion and with a skill like that or a talent, what do you think makes them, what do you think makes franchising for them so successful? Well, uh, it's a good question. I can think of a number of different things in the salon industry, I guess the, on the face of it, it's just the size and scale of the industry. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, everybody gets haircuts all the time except maybe guys like fred no offense fred but you know, <laughs> right that most people are it's one of those commodity services that you're never going to buy a haircut on amazon you might right. make a reservation or something online you know now it's it's all on the app but uh mm -hmm. you still got to go somewhere to get a haircut or someone's got to do it for you you know even in the covid thing there was some we had some fun with the we fix uh, uh self you know, do-it-yourself haircuts, you know, because so, uh, <laughs> you don't want to. <laughs> Boy, could I tell you stories about those yeah, do-it-yourself haircuts. Yeah. So uh, anyway, it, what makes it a good franchise is there's so much of it, right? I mean, hair hair salons are, you know, ubiquitous, right? There's, they're everywhere, and there's lots of room. There's always going to be room for, for all kinds of, you know, salons, and, and it's a big industry, lots of different categories, different prices, different styles different uh different in a lot of ways really a sure. lot of different things and it's a huge industry so that i guess number one number two in the salon business you know people are looking for certain things you know when they go you can segment the market relatively clearly primarily by price right people they want full service full and you know a special kind of environment they're going to pay you know let's say 30 dollars or more 
Mm-hmm. And you want people who are maybe based a little more on convenience and, uh, you know, they're the more simple needs. They don't need, uh, you know, extra services and all the, you know, they'll pay something maybe 30 and less. So, and then you can sub segment within, I mean, you know, there's all kinds of oh, sure. ways. So it's so big. And, and once you segment in a franchise, you know, they, the ones that are, that I'm thinking of that are, going strong right now you know they have picked a lane if you will and they stick to it and mm-hmm. that's all they're going to do and they're good at it and because they don't get distracted and try to change or uh, modify their model right i mean of course they innovate they get better systems better technology better things change but haircutting is haircutting i mean there's not that many different ways to do it you know you can overcomplicate the model or so a lot of the successful franchise brands, I guess is what I'm getting to, they, they have simplified the operational component. They've simplified the, the management component. Uh, it's a lot of people, a lot of talent. You know, labor is your biggest expense. So scheduling and efficiencies, and, and uh, that becomes real important. Uh, and then the marketing and promotion and pricing and their strategy around services and combinations and bundles and competitiveness, you know, and all the rest of it. So. Sure they streamline the complex components to build a system that really works. Uh, once in a salon business, once you get a good team of stylists and hairdressers, you know, who are really good and, and fun and, and have service, you know, it's, you're going to get a haircut that given, right. But how you feel about it is what really matters. You know, you can, yeah. you can get an excellent haircut and pay too much and feel terrible. Right. Or you can, you can get a great haircut at a great price and feel great about it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's the environment and the service and kind of meeting the customer's expectations. And, and so once you get a good team and you get a good location, because it's pretty convenient, you know, generally people don't want to search for a salon, you know, they want to go there. And um, and then it's, you know, it's customer service. Keep, keep them happy. Yeah. And, and as an operator, you know, I, I never cut hair, but I owned a lot of salons. Mm-hmm. And I could manage a salon I, and I knew my numbers. I knew what I was trying to do and really how to manage the manager in that industry is so critical. That's a real important person right? Uh, at the unit level, but then there's ways to scale and structure and you get a regional director and a, you know, district manager and you can scale. And it's but all an of those, scalable model. all of this to get you there. Mm-hmm. If I'm, you know, understand all of this properly because it's a lot of information is that that's what the franchise or mm-hmm. provides so somebody who has the basic right. understanding but maybe not the business knowledge that's and right. they really want it to be bigger a franchise is a great solution because they define and outline these processes for you correct well yeah they they give you the guidelines they give you the programs of course they training and systems and technology is a wonderful thing these days um really can do a lot you know, with a franchise brand, of course, they give it to you, but you've got to use it as a franchisee. And um, <laughs> the biggest challenge a lot of times is franchisees come along and think, well, you know, I've got my own experience or I've got better ideas or, you know, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. And I usually say, you know, stop yourself. right? <laughs> because mm-hmm. <laughs> You bought a franchise to follow a franchise. You really need to implement and uh, do not experiment. Uh, especially in the beginning, you know, when it's early stage in the first six months or whatever, you, you got a lot to learn. You got a lot to figure it out and and work really hard. Don't change a thing because uh, you may not know or understand why things are the way they are, but chances are there's a good reason behind it. That may not be obvious. It might've been from a mistake that we made 10 years ago and we fixed it because we don't do it that way anymore. You know, and the, things of that nature, you know, people, it's just people, right? And entrepreneurs and God bless them, you know, they want to do the right thing. And so it, it really starts with the front end conversation of what is franchising. And for a guy who is a true wild entrepreneur, he probably should not be a franchisee, you know, maybe he should be a franchisor, that's questionable, but um, franchisee, you want them to have the enthusiasm and the ambition and the resources, time and money, but they really got to have passion for the brand and the business they bought. And and you want them to own it like it's theirs because it is, but you don't want them to, to have to worry about or, or spend time and energy trying to fix anything, right? Just execute, execute, execute. And, you know, we'll, we'll work together to make it better, right? A good brand collaborates mm-hmm. continuously and has innovation and change is inevitable. So 
Yep. It's going to change, but uh, don't make it change for your store. <laughs> you know, you're, when you start experimenting, you're, you're deviating yourself from profitability. It's usually the, the bottom line. I, I think Fred has that glassy eye okay. look like I need to pay the electric bill, so maybe we should break for commercial at this time. <laughs> uh, Ray, how well you know things. So, 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 so much that you do. So before we go into our commercials, want to give out a it shout It was the out. bouncing. Yeah, well, I say I'm energetic on screen from what I'm told. Um, want to give a shout out to Feedspot for listing us as one of the top 20 franchise podcasts you must follow in 2020. And Ray, what number were we? Yes, my friend, number one, number one. <laughs> Congratulations. We love this. We love this. And now a word from a sponsor. Hey, franchise owners. How is your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, and ad placement, and customer data intelligence, we'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or Westvine with a Y dot com. Thanks, Michelle. And we are back. Ray, I believe you had a question before we went off into commercial land. I do. I do. So I, I was just wondering, um, I went into my business because it was, I, what I at the time considered kind of low tech because I was in high tech most of my career. So what is new in haircutting technologically? Yeah, good question. Not uh, the answer is not much, right? I mean, <laughs> hair hair has been cut the same way for five thousand years, right? Sharp instrument, right? They you know they cut hair the same way forever. Um, Really, the new innovations in the technical side, as far as I understand, now I'm not a, a technical uh, person in the industry, but I try to pay attention to what's going on out there. Um, primarily, uh, you know, the clipper technology, right? Because a lot of people are have shorter, much shorter hair, and um, mm -hmm. that's uh, obvious. So uh, there's some new types of clippers, new styles that are. A little easier, a little faster, a little lighter. I mean, technology is always making things better. Um, and then I would also say on the product side, you know, beauty products, the 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 paste, the this, you know, the product you you put in a, a tube or a can or a jar or whatever. It's a lot of interesting products that do some pretty interesting things. Uh, colors, textures, mm -hmm. um, I would call decorations, right? Kind of. Um, <laughs> seasonal stuff i mean there's quite a bit of stuff you can do with your hair these days um i you know my personal style is pretty much like anyone i got a hairstyle i guess it's working for me i just leave it alone for about 50 years you know yeah a lot of men do right i mean like, especially men no doubt about it and, you know, now people are coloring hair. I mean, you see that, and, and mm -hmm. thankfully that's gotten a lot better and um, safer, actually. Um, yeah. Chemicals and stuff were really terrible stuff in the old days. But um, um, yeah, I don't know. There's really nothing dramatic. Um, you know, making it more convenient, making it more um, uh, consistent, I guess, is, is uh, I don't know if that's. You, know, but you mentioned tech, though, John, and I think the tech that you were talking about um, was really more in the online scheduling and record keeping. Like I know yeah. when I go into sports clips, you know, my son's always grinning from ear to ear because he knows that they're going to say, oh, do you want the MVP again? Oh, let and him I'm have going, it. Yeah, it's, I'm it's going, the best. 
Yeah. Damn, that's a $25 haircut oh, from my 14-year-old. But at 14, she doesn't need a neck massage at 14. He wants to feel like an MVP. I mean, it's a it's yeah. the towel, the hot towel. I mean, it's it's really, I think it's well worth the it. The neck massage. I mean, listen, yeah. I get it. And I would support a gentleman who owns his own money or, you yeah. know, or earns yeah. his own well, money to do it. But, earn it. He'll, he'll, he'll get it. I think the the tech really is what I would say does two things. It's it's client facing, you know, the the public, the website, the app, the scheduling. That they think uh, their thing is online check in, right? Nobody wants to wait right. for a haircut, right? Nobody wants to wait for anything these days. Mm-hmm. So making that accurate and convenient uh, can be a real challenge. Fred, what is that? And uh, <laughs> that's how you get new haircut. That's how you cut your hair, yeah. <laughs> oh boy. And here I thought you used the lawnmower. Yeah. The uh, the other tech really helps improve the ability to manage, monitor, and manage the, the business. Right, right, There's right. So many data points you can pick up through a point of sale in a hair salon because the timing and service mm-hmm. time and staff and logging in and logging out and all the activity. You know, it's it's a, you can measure the business pretty quickly because there yeah. isn't that much to it. It's, you know, I mean, a lot of inventory in some cases. Uh, you know, there can be, it has its complexities, of course, but the, so the technology really helps on those two primarily, you know, customers and customer interaction and then marketing, of course, related to all that. But the, uh, the operational side, it's more for performance management. And once you get a salon dialed in, once, once you really have a great team that is excited and people like it there and people know that <laughs> they start coming back and, uh, yeah. You know, and you get that efficiency curve where um, they're busy, uh, but not too busy, and they're making great money because there's a great flow of customers, and that's kind of a sweet spot, you know, in really any business. But sure. in a salon business, you, you can kind of see when that's coming or not, and, and you try to identify what what variables you can uh, change to get there, right? And once you're there, keep it there and sure. balance the growth, right? You want to grow too fast. You want to grow too slow. And you don't want to hurt your people, of course. They're they're your number one, uh, you know, asset is your staff. So right. you got to take care of your staff and keep them, uh, you know, aligned, I guess, towards uh, success. Mm-hmm. You find that salons are one of those um, investments that you need to have multi-unit, or uh, is one really enough to get you? I, I know everybody has a different definition sure. of what's comfortable or what they're after. Well, Oh, I can answer your question. I, it's been a long time since I sold a salon franchise, right? I, I haven't sold this franchise in, you know, for so I'm not in the, in principle. Uh, I think one is enough if you get a good one and you manage it well. I mean, you what you want are successful outcomes, right? I don't right. care how many you have, if you own one or 50, you know, or more. But one, if you're good at one, uh, going to two is relatively easy, right? Because if you've got good people, again, you just duplicate and maybe spread them around. So you can kind of pick a few out of here and move them to the next one. And that seeds the culture and the motivation. Mm-hmm. You kind of carry that from one to the next. So once you get to three, um, now you're really busy, right? As an owner. And um, it's usually where you start to promote uh, what I would call it a regional manager or a district manager. You want a, a manager of the managers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they can usually manage three to five, right? You go to four and five, and now your district manager is really busy, and you're really busy, right? You're both busy yeah. again. So if you go to six, you probably hire another district person and go down to three each, right? And you scale, then you build four or fives, you know, you kind of pack them, if you will, in between, you know, three to six units per district manager, per owner. So I mean, every business is different, but, um, sure. you know, some of the, the more complicated operations, that's harder to do, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bigger volume locations are harder to manage because you got a lot more to pay attention, a lot of cash in this business, right? It can be risky. Mm-hmm. Um, and the stylists and the staff, you know, that's a lot to manage. There's a lot of people and a lot of factors and, and training and, and compliance and licensing. I mean, you know, there's a lot of uh, things to manage in a, in a successful, busy salon. So um, it's not easy. Nothing's easy. Nothing's guaranteed. You have to work hard. You got to follow the model, pay attention and really 
take care of your people because they take care of your customers. But right. is one enough? I think so. If 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 uh, until you get it right, you know, then if you want to go to two or three, I mean, that's a pretty good stretch. But then five or more, you may as well go to ten or fifteen or twenty or fifty. Or, I mean, and then you see guys that have you know huge groups, you know, hundred more plus multiple states. I mean, then. But that's a whole different level, and there's structure for that, right? You have systems sure. and people, and you can well, scale this business. So that's the beauty of it is, is it's very scalable once you have it kind of under that's right. control, you know, once you manage it. So uh, I, I'm going to ask some uh, serious questions in a, in a minute, but I've got to ask this. Uh, if I went to my barber now and, and said, I want a flat top with fenders, would they know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Not. I, I know what that is actually. Um, my dad used to call that a Hollywood. Yeah, that's I used to get that as a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> with flat the top with fenders. Flat, flat top with fenders. Oh, flat and then sides going back. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm familiar with that. I understand. Chances are no, I don't know. People would know what a flat top is. That's that's yeah. you know, that's out there. Fenders, you know, that's, I don't know. They might figure it out. Maybe you'd be surprised. I think it depends on where they went to barber school or beauty school or, you know, who they hung around with when they were young, maybe. Because, um, you know, the, the the hairdressers are wonderfully creative people. I mean, there oh. is some great creativity out there. And, uh, you know, it's fun to see. It's just a fun environment, frankly. That That industry is, you know, I mean, like any business, right? It's got its advantages and disadvantages. And, uh, it's a fun business. Yeah. yeah. And that's the next question, really. How easy is it to get into it as a franchise? Uh, the salon industry? Yeah. yeah well, I, you know, there are, I don't know how many these days. Uh, I think last time I heard anything, it was like 15% of the industry is, is a chain or a franchise or okay. some kind of a system. Mm -hmm. So what's that? 85% of the industry is independent, uh, you know, independent yeah. operators. So there's a lot of room. Um, mm -hmm. I think the franchise, this pandemic, this lousy COVID, I think is going to hurt a lot of independents yeah. for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other thing that's changed in probably the last 10 years, for sure, the last five years for certain is a new component called the Salon Suites model. Um, and there are some franchise brands that are doing really well with that. And there's some great competition out there. But that is kind of a hybrid almost. It's it's a salon concept, but it's really a real estate play and kind yeah. of a, uh, anyway, that's changed the model for the industry. It's not going the other way. It's, you know, it's, that's not going away. I mean, it, that's had an impact. Um, so how hard is it to get it? In one sense, it's real easy. All you need to do is get a barber license or a beauty license, set of shears and a comb and, you know, clippers. You know, you you can become a hairdresser and go to work for yourself out of your basement. I mean, some people do that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that's a real career builder, but you know, whatever. Well, if you want to own a salon, um, you know, a lot of the bigger brands are, you know, I don't want to say sold out, but they're they're pretty close to sold out um, because they've been around for a long time. And a lot of people got a lot of stores and, you know, Great Clips is out there, over 4,000 salons. I mean, it's a huge wow. brand. Regis, uh, their Supercuts brand is very big. Um, they've got a few other brands over there. Um, they have hundreds of units. You know, Sport Clips is, I think, about 18, 1900. They're almost 2,000 Sport Clips, mm -hmm. all in the U.S. and a few in Canada, you know, but they're, they're growing like crazy and doing a great mm -hmm. job. So mm -hmm. the competitors at that level are, it's hard to get in. Now, a lot of guys, uh, once you're in, then they try to consolidate. You know, they'll acquire you might buy one. And I know Regis was refranchising a lot of their corporate stores, which that's another conversation, but um, I've seen some opportunities there, I guess. Uh, it, it creates opportunity where people couldn't get into a brand, but you know, then what are you doing? You know, you're trying to buy the cash flow, and it's hard to do that in this business. You, you really have to manage the business, not just buy it. And um, yeah. yep. I think that, um, you know, there's always room for another good competitor. You know, it's like any industry, uh, another good one. Sure, they can make it. Um, are they going to take sh a share? Market share will probably come from the independents. As the industry continues to grow and consolidate, I would expect that franchise chain business to increase 
and the independent uh, mom and pops are probably going to continue to to decrease. I think that trend has been going on for a long time, and it's probably got another, you know, I mean, it'll never be full conversion to full corporate. You know, this is America. There's a lot of creativity out there, you know, but I, I bet you could get close to 50-50 maybe uh, over the next 30 years, you know, so there's plenty of room to grow, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, I think there's there's opportunity, but nothing's easy, nothing's automatic. But I, I've, I've read about a lot of newer brands in the last maybe three or four years that are kind of back to the original, the barbers. My dad's original concept was this men's grooming you know, kind of cool and laid back and, you know, you'd go there and get a shave and a haircut and all the full service men's kind of thing. And there's more of that out there. Uh, and so that segment is, is going through a renaissance, which is kind of interesting. Um, you know, there's opportunity all over the place, I guess you just got to look for it. I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't know where to start if I was going to buy a, a salon franchise. I mean, other than sport clubs, I'm part of that, you know, I've been involved with them as a board of directors uh, member for uh, 11 years, I think. So it's been a long time and they're doing a great job. I really love that company, proud of their success, you know, but uh, it's a big industry and there's lots of good brands out there. So. Mm -hmm. So you weren't, you haven't always, and you alluded to this a few minutes ago as well. um, You haven't remained in the, um, hair business, right? You've done some other things. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so tell us a little bit about how you made the transition, why you made the transition into T-shirts and PostNet and some of the other things that you've done. Sure. Well, when we, uh, part of it was unexpected, I'll be honest. When when I was in my uh, late 20s, early 30s, right, I was out of college, working hard, family business, franchisor, and I was doing everything I could to learn that business, improve myself, to advance as an executive inside our family business. Right? That was it was a great opportunity, and I was doing a great job. And uh, things changed. Uh, my my dad had passed away in '94, and my mother took over, and she did a great job. She doubled the size of the company in wow. the '90s. And I had an older brother who died in a car accident in. Uh, 97. So it was just a few years after my dad. And and anyway, my mom went through some, well, we all went through it, but it it really upset the apple cart, if you will. And my my mom wanted to retire. She wound up selling the whole company. So it was kind of an unexpected outcome. Um, If I think if my brother hadn't passed away, you know, that might not have happened. I think that's kind of what triggered it for her to. So anyway, we wound up selling the business, which was a fantastic transaction. I mean, it really was a nice outcome for the family, but it, it sure. changed my career path, right? My mm-hmm. my ambition was uh, derailed, I guess, in a sense, and you know, whatever, how could I complain, right? It was right. a great outcome. So I went to work for Regis Corporation for nine months, right? And I had incentive to, to do a good job there. And they were nice to me. They were good people. And uh, but I looked around at Regis. It was a great big company, corporate, you know, publicly traded, and and uh, a lot of politics, and just not my style. You know, I didn't feel like an owner anymore, so it wasn't the same motivation, right? So I left, and I had uh, thankfully had a, an incentive package, which was a wonderful part of the deal. And uh, I thought I'll never get this ever again. I had a non-compete, so I got paid to not work, right? Which to me, it was unbelievable, right? But it was, you know, you get those things in certain conditions. And I was lucky to have the opportunity, I guess. But it, because of that, I had to stay out of the hair business. And I had to stay out of other other segments of the salon industry for, I think it was three or four years or some period of time. But I said, so I thought, well, what do I know, right? I know, I know retail. I know strip center locations. I know shopping center locations. I know service-based concept, B to C, right? Business to consumer, hair okay. salons is all consumer. I, I had done a lot of work in real estate and commercial property and, uh, uh, you know, leasing and, and owning and managing commercial property that our family owned. And so I understood a few things and I'd done a lot of other things with other, uh, uh, a peer group I was part of called Inner Circle, which gave me exposure to a lot of other businesses. And it was really kind of fun. 
So I took some time off and I decided, well, what, what can I do? What am I allowed to do? And then what do I really want to do? And what I landed on was uh, this brand PostNet. And PostNet at the time was, uh, it was still run by the founders, the original founders and great young guys, nice guys, just a little bit older than me, but pretty much the same age. So, and I'd known them through the IFA. I'd known them, known them pretty well from being at IFA for years and years. And, and they're nice guys, hard workers, and they had a nice, good brand, and they seemed like they were on a roll. And and uh, I think they kind of shanghaied me at one of the IFA dinners. You know, they put me at a table full of their people, and and uh, and it it didn't take me long to figure out I was getting set up here. You know, because they started working on me, and, and then like, well, you know, honestly, I didn't want to just own a franchise. I didn't want to be a, a unit level franchisee anymore. You know, it's like I want something a little bigger than that, and. They said, well, we've got this area developer model. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I know what those are. I said, how does yours work? You know, how do you do it? And so they explained it to me. And it was pretty attractive, you know, and they're, you know, they're, like I said, I know these guys that kind of like them. And it was retail. It was the same kind of real estate, the business to consumer, mostly in the beginning, especially, you know, and it was, it was a clean environment. You know, I could get my head around it and, Anyway, it took a few months of research and diligence, but I bought a two states as a, a double regional developer for, for Minnesota and Wisconsin. So it was, I bought a big opportunity. That was the biggest deal they'd ever made domestically, right? And, but I knew what I was doing and I knew what I wanted to do. And, and so I, they appointed me to their advisory council right away, immediately. And um, it ruffled some feathers with the other franchisees like, who is this guy? You know, you drop him in here and all of a sudden he's on the FAC and I'm like, well, you know, let me, let me explain my background. And anyway, I went on to have a great time at PostNet. Great people, great company. We, I had good units. I opened and worked really hard, really hard. I had great people on my, my stores. I had some great franchisees that I recruited into my territory. I mean, it was a good run. We had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, spent a lot of money, <laughs> made a lot of money, you know, I had a great, pretty much a good run. And um, that was fun retail, you know, and then along the way, once, once I had that pretty well, uh, I don't want to say figured out, but once I was seeing success with that, I went on to start doing some consulting with other franchise. I, I had such a network in franchising because really from growing up at IFA and uh, running around with my mom and dad at the board meetings and stuff and the dinners, you know, the, not, I couldn't go to the meetings, of course, I was the, the, you know, the teenage son, but uh, I'd go with my mother after my dad passed away, I'd go with my mom to the IFA meetings and I'd just hang out with her. Everybody knew I was her son. I mean, you know, and mm -hmm. it was cause I worked, we worked together. I mean, she was running the business and I was doing my part. So it was a lot of fun. So anyway, I leveraged my network, you know, and I've always been able to do that and enjoy doing that. You know, it's fun mm -hmm. to have, have a network that you can really use to help people with the business. So, so I started doing a little consulting and board work with some other brands, a restaurant brand, uh, a spa equipment company. A friend of mine had a distributorship that was deemed not competitive because uh, Regis wasn't selling spa equipment, you know, and the, uh, I'm trying to think, boy, I don't know. I, I probably did a half a dozen brands along the time I was doing PostNet at the same time. Um, kind of, I call it freestyle consulting, <laughs> right? You're just doing it. And uh, then when the recession came and everything kind of stopped, you know, that was a big deal. And uh, the uh, retail market froze up pretty tight and the credit markets froze up. So I couldn't finance any franchises. If you remember those mm -hmm. days, right? Oh, yeah. 2008 and nine, when <laughs> home equity and uh, IRAs was a great resource for people to fund a, a franchise uh, acquisition or, or development program, but all that was stuck. So I couldn't, mm -hmm. I could sell them, but nobody could build and open. So it got kind of, you know, and I went back to uh, PostNet actually and said, look, fellas, uh, well, we, we watched here in Minneapolis, you know, like, like a lot of markets, right? The commercial real estate market really took a beating. I mean, the, mm -hmm. the vacancies went up and things, things went upside down. So we, we had been in the commercial real estate business back in the 80s and 90s, and I ran that family business. So when the uh, recession hit in late 2009, really, um, 
we decided to buy some more commercial property here in Minneapolis because kind of everything was on sale. So yeah. our family, I've got three sisters and my mother's still wonderfully, you know, she's healthy. And, and anyway, we organized some family investment into some commercial property. So I, I got uh, the opportunity to do that. And um, so I did that. And then all of a sudden, relatively speaking, the post-net business shrunk, right? Because I couldn't, I couldn't open stores because the financing was stuck. And uh, I had uh, one of my fantastic managers had moved on. And after, I think, a five-year run of doing some great work. So I kind of lost one of my operational key people. And, uh, and all this was happening at the same time. So I went back to PostNet Corporate. Actually, I think it was at an IFA conference. We went out for breakfast. And I said, look, guys. I think I need to shift gears. You know, I think I got to do something different. I, I could pretend that I'm going to stick with this and build stores and sell franchises, or I could just be honest with you and say, I think I'm ready for shifting. And they're like, well, you know, what do you got left on your contract? I mean, it was a very easy, pleasant conversation because we were so close. I mean, I had a really great relationship with my franchisor and uh, still do. I mean, they're still friends. We're both been out of the business for a long time, but um so we negotiated a nice deal and uh i basically stepped out of my area developer role and i had one store to sell which was easy to do and um then they hired me uh, actually i went to work for the franchisor like at the same time and, and uh, i went on as what was called a strategic advisor we agreed that that, that was the most vague title we could come up with <laughs> That sounded important, but really no authority because I'm not a director, I'm not a C-suite, anything. It was it was built as a temporary role to help them with some structural structural opportunities to fix fix some things internally in terms of accountability and and planning and you know a little more uh, structure and then the, dealing with some of the struggling as the recession was going. There were owners in the system who were just hanging on, you know, and they really needed some special attention. So I could go in as a troubleshooter with those owners because I was had been one, right? I had, so I was kind of a, a secret weapon. That's what I called myself. But uh, so I worked in that role part time from home and here in Minnesota for two years and uh, had a lot of fun uh, making an impact on that brand from the inside. Right. Uh, not being an owner anymore and a franchisee, but leveraging all that experience and those relationships because everybody knew me. Everybody trusted me. I'd won the franchisee of the year a couple of times. You know, I mean, it was fantastic environment and really a good brand. So I was glad to stay involved, uh, but in a different capacity. And uh, that was pretty cool to do that. Then um, after that, uh, let's see, I think that ended in 2013. So a couple of years later, then the real estate was really turned out to be a pretty good deal because um, the market came back, you know, and uh, um, then I, I didn't want to go back into operating any, you know, I, I didn't have any employees. I didn't really want any employees, to be honest. And uh, my kids are starting to get older. I don't want to be around my kids while they're, while I have the chance, hopefully to have some fun. I've got two girls, two teenagers right now. And, uh, so I've been working from home forever. And um, then I really guess I got more purposeful about uh, being a speaker. Um, I worked with a woman, you might know her, Katrina Mitchell out in uh, Denver. She's a speaker's agent, uh, runs a bureau agency sort of thing. And I met her at a conference. We'd known each other. And, and she was pretty straight, straight up with me. She says, you know how many retired executives who think they want to be a speaker come, to, you know, and they're like, oh, I'll just book me and I'll get up and speak. And she said, no, 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 you you have to have a, a, a program, you have to have presence, you have to build your materials, you know, you're not just going to do this, you know, you have to get organized. So she gave me some ideas and motivation and I did it. She said, you actually did the work. So I created a program, I got the coaching, I, I put myself together as a speaker and started doing that and really had a lot of fun with it, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I could show up at a brand and ask a lot of questions on the front end and, and build my, my material to kind of suit them, right? I could deliver that message that needed to be delivered and uh, do it in a way that was you know, effective. And uh, yeah. so I did a fair amount of speaking and consulting, and that would 
turn into opportunities if I see them and I could say, geez, I bet I could help you where you got this and this and this and now maybe this and that and the other thing and try to help. And then lately, I guess for the last five years, I've been doing um, boards, board of advisors, right? Which is not a board of directors. I, I love serving on the board of directors and I do that too, but uh, that's formal. There's fiduciary, there's voting, there's, there's structure and legal issues around the board of directors. A board of advisors is not that. It's informal. It's, uh, there's not really any liability. You don't need insurance and things. You know, it's much simpler, much more flexible. I say a board of advisors, uh, using that, I help turn a founder into a CEO, right? Okay. I can create structure and accountability mm -hmm. inside wow. the organization for the benefit of the owner yeah. and then leave, right? Yeah. I can put that together and set the board up and go the first meeting and dial it all up and then say, okay, good luck. You know, and I don't have to right, right. on the board. Yeah. Uh, I hate to interrupt. We've got to go to a commercial right now. Oh, yeah. By all means. The Franchise Woman is a bi-monthly digital magazine that empowers women as they navigate the franchising industry by providing relevant news, tools, advice, and inspiration. We are a resource for women who are seeking to own their own businesses, improve their existing businesses, find creative solutions, and take advantage of franchise opportunities. We feature women in the business who best exemplify our ideals and have something to teach our readers. In addition to our exclusive articles relating to the female entrepreneur, we also feature brands that are geared for women. Women have become the fastest growing sector in business ownership and have become a powerful, influenceable force fueling the economy. The Franchise Women will give you the news that is relevant to you to help you navigate the path of successful franchise ownership. By women, for women, and about women, we are the Franchise Woman. Join us today at www.thefranchisewoman.com. And on a personal note for uh, Elizabeth, read the Rogue Mail um, column in this <laughs> month's episode. Not the Lone Mail, the Rogue Mail, which means <laughs> now we know what time it really is, don't we? Everyone <laughs> down the rabbit hole. Yes. Be ready, Johnny. Oh boy, yes. that's complicated image right there. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta put on your seatbelt. Okay. <laughs> so now we're to Fred's favorite part of the show, which is the down the rabbit hole question. So today we're going to ask about yes the topic we haven't talked about in a long time, the zombie apocalypse. Oh, no. <laughs> Given that zombies can be killed by sharp, blunt objects, including knives, machetes, and things like that to the head, how will... Scissors. Scissors, exactly. How will future franchisees during the zombie apocalypse ensure that zombies do not take them for a threat when they come which is my fear when somebody trying to cut their hair comes at them with a sharp object. For the zombies to get haircuts? Exactly. Zombies need haircuts. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, you know, Fred, I don't know what to say, man. I, I think someone better be careful. If you, if you nick a zombie, well, they, they can't bleed to death because they're already dead. Right? That's no, a plus. Just bite you. And, I think the only way you can kill a zombie is to like disintegrate their brains or something, right? You have to really kill them good, right? I mean, you, you know, if you just shoot them in the arms or legs or whatever, they keep coming. Right? So, I don't know, man. I, I don't even want to think about it. I, I think, yeah, if you're a hairdresser and you, you've got shears, um, you know, they're, they're a weapon for sure. Oh, yeah. And, so I'd probably, it'd probably be a pretty safe position to be in actually. Um, and then, you know, those uh, clippers and hair dryers, and they got a cord, right? You could wrap the cord around that thing and maybe tie them down to the chair or something. You know, I don't know. This, this question always brings up the really dark side in people, right? Yeah. Well, there's a cord we can choke them. There's scissors we can stab them. And those razors we have, wow. Oh, yeah. Straight-edge <laughs> razor can do some real damage. Yeah, oh, boy. Yeah. They aren't are as popular anymore, but uh, yeah. I don't know. Could you melt them with a hair dryer? Would that do anything to a zombie? Oh, it might. Yeah. Not, but then again, you're killing your customers. 
Oh, yeah, right. Well, the, the one thing I'll tell you, other than the cigarette industry, no industry ever lived a long time by killing their customers. Ray, your <laughs> famous final question on that note. So I know there's a lot of people who are listening and are thinking, wow, I need some, some help, some advice. If someone wanted to call you and, you know, as a speaker or, or just some advice, what would be the best way they can get a hold of you? Sure. The, thanks for asking, Ray. The, the best way to find me is, is probably my website, johnnyfranchise.com. There's all kinds of stuff there. I've got a blog I've been writing for five years. Um, all kinds of stuff you can look at and videos if you're interested. There's some freebie giveaway stuff there. I have a newsletter you can sign up and all that. Um, and then there's a contact button or a form or whatever. Um, you know, you can reach me there. There's a schedule link, I think, even if you really want to get aggressive and jump into my calendar, it'll allow that, which is really kind of fun sometimes. You'd be surprised um, when people, but I have some rules, right? So it, it won't schedule things that uh, that aren't comfortable for me. So it's limited availability that way, but I would say send an email, drop through the website, uh, phone number. You know, I'm not hard to find. I'm on all the social medias all over the place. And uh, I love talking to people about franchise. Really, I, I just like to help where I can and otherwise get out of the way. Yeah. I work alone. I don't have an office full of people to pay for. You know, I don't, I don't need another client to make my mortgage or anything. You know, I, I'm comfortable. I'm lucky. I, I, I want to help where I can. I, I do plenty of volunteer work, so I'm really not interested in that. But uh, I like helping my clients and really adding value to, uh, to what they're doing. I say I'm more of an advisor than a than a than a consultant because uh, mm -hmm. I don't really want to do the work. I want to help other people do their work. So right, right. I've been called a coach, right? I don't know. I, I'm never. I'm not a certified anything, but uh, I guess that's the kind of work I do. So you teach them how to fish. Yeah, definitely, and show them what lures to use <laughs> and, yeah, how, yeah, to, yeah. and how to do it. You know, I want to. I want them to be successful for a long time and I want them to have fun doing it. You know, I'm all about uh, taking care of people and kind of mutual benefit. A, a franchise model is when everybody does their part, you know, franchising works fantastically well. And uh, that's really what I'm trying to help make that a reality. Yeah. Yeah. You know? it's, it's interesting. Uh, Kristen and I were talking the other day of, of the franchise owners that we knew who didn't work out, things didn't work out for them, they were always the ones that say, oh, the franchise doesn't know what they're talking about. I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> and they end up, you know. Yeah, it, it's a, it's unfortunately common that people get in and they get sideways with the brand. And it's like, well, yeah. okay, why, why did you get here? How did you get here? And a lot of times I'll help people through those kind of situations. You know, I can ask questions in about 10 minutes. I can figure out what's really going on. And, Sure. And give them a handful of ideas to think about. But really, I I like pe seeing people succeed where they can and otherwise move on. You know, uh, mm -hmm. nobody wants to fight about stuff. It's not worth it. It's uh, yeah. no. I'd rather see you get out of it. And uh, if it doesn't work for whatever reason, you're not going to fit that brand or that model, then then sell it to somebody else and get on to get on to your next one because. Yeah. Uh, there's so much opportunity. You just got to find one that you really can do and execute and, and have passion. If you really like the business and you really like the people, it's a lot easier to be successful. It, if you don't have those fundamental kind of values in alignment, I, I wouldn't do it. You know, I'd yeah. do something else. Yeah, yeah. And on that week, that note, folks, we'll be back next week. I want to thank our guest, John Francis, as well as my co-host, Ray and Kristen, for making another interesting and yet weird show. We'll be back uh, <laughs> next week is Thanksgiving. We will be on. However, we will be on two hours later so I don't get killed by my family for missing dinner again. So 4 o'clock next year, next week, 4 p.m. Pacific. Thank you, Johnny Fran uh, Franchise. You've been an excellent guest, and we really appreciate your insight. Thank you. Thank you, Ray. Fearless. Fearless. Fearless.
Bill, 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 Bill,